Welcome to another episode of Science Audio Osmosis. This episode is going to be focused more on physics concepts. Uh, specifically, we're going to be discussing uh, rotational motion and rotational equilibrium. So we're going to be talking about angular motion, uh, moment of inertia, torque, and static equilibrium today. So I think this is more one of the more difficult areas of physics for students to grasp um, because up until this point we've only been speaking in terms of linear motion, uh, forward or backwards motion, uh, whether it's velocity, acceleration, force, what have you. Now we're go going to begin discussing things in terms of going in a circle, circular motion or angular motion as we call it. But we must remember that angular motion is a part of everyday life. I mean, think about how many things that we interact with on a daily basis that turns in a circle. Whether that's the wheels on a car, uh, the rotation of a, of a CD or a DVD, um, even the planets going around the sun. Everything is rotating. And so we have to understand rotational motion in order to be well-rounded physics students. So in order to gain a better understanding of rotational motion, we're going to begin by considering uh, position, speed, and then acceleration of a rotating object in very much the same fashion that we first considered position and then speed and then acceleration of a linear uh, moving object. So consider, for instance, a bicycle wheel that is rotating about its axis. And this is a common setup. We're all very familiar with bicycle wheels. Uh, the axle of the wheel is the axis of rotation. And as the wheel rotates, every point on the wheel is moving in a very regular circular path about that axis. Now, we generally define a spot in the rotation of an object as being the reference line uh, or the zero point. Uh, usually this lies right along the x-axis. If you were to imagine a wheel and then lay an x and y coordinate plane over top of it, right there at the positive x-axis would be our reference line. This is where the angular position or the angle of rotation theta is equal to zero. And just like in uh, numbering the um, coordinates on a, or quadrants uh, on the coordinate plane, we move in a counterclockwise position. So moving counterclockwise from that, that positive x reference line, uh, the angles go up positive, and moving clockwise, they go negative. So, um, up until this point, we've talked about uh, angles in terms of degrees. And indeed, in physics, um, it seems as though we use degrees a lot more than we use radians. Uh, when we're talking about two-dimensional vectors, uh, we don't measure those in pi radians. We measure those in degrees, how many degrees away from a certain line or a certain reference point we are. However, in angular motion, we make the switch and we begin to discuss things in terms of radians instead of degrees. Now, we can still talk about degrees and we'll talk about revolutions and rotations as well. But our main, and I hesitate even to call it a unit, but our main frame of reference is going to be the radian. All right? and 
remember what uh, a radian is. Uh, as we make our way around the unit circle, a full 360 degrees is 2 pi radians. Uh, 90 degrees is half a radian. Um, this is where memorization of the unit circle uh, back in Algebra 2 or Precalculus uh, really comes into play because now you can begin to make that connection between degrees and radians in the physical world. So as we begin to look at a bicycle wheel as it rotates, imagine we have a spot and we're watching a spot on that wheel as it rotates around. The angle at which it rotates we name as theta, alright, that's the angle of rotation. The path that the spot will follow on the outside of the wheel, around the circumference of the wheel, uh, that's what we call the arc length, alright, and the arc length uh, is found by taking the radius of the wheel and multiplying it by the angle theta. So that really is our first equation uh, in this chapter. We have the uh, arc length of, uh, of an object rotating about an axis is equal to the radius of the axis multiplied by the angle of rotation. Um, in terms of algebra we have this as s equals r times theta. Now, uh, as we watch this dot rotate on through, we already said that one full circle is 2 pi radians. 2 pi radians is 360 degrees. It's also one revolution. So make sure you understand that one revolution, 360 degrees, 2 pi radians, these are all different ways of saying the same thing, a full circle. Now, another bit to, uh, to note here, and this part I think also confuses introductory students as well. Remember that units for angles, whether we're talking about radians, we're talking about degrees, we're talking about revolutions, these are all dimensionless. Um, in relation uh, to that previous equation we discussed of arc length equaling radius times theta, the arc length uh, and the radius both have an SI unit of the meter. The angle theta has no dimensions. So you say, now wait a minute, I thought radians was the dimension. No, radians is what we measured in, uh, but they are the units, but they do not have any dimension, okay? Um, not like a, a meter does, or a second, or um, a liter, if we're talking about volume. So remember, the angle measurements do not have any dimension. So we can't use and apply the same rules to them as we do for um, other dimension uh, units, such as the meter. So if we have radius as being a meter, we're multiplying it by some number of radians, that's just going to give us a meter. Uh, arc length is measured in meters, not meter radians. And again, that sometimes is a, is a little bit difficult for students to kind of get their heads wrapped around. Now, we can talk about the angular displacement of that dot as it's rotating about our bicycle wheel. And really, all angular displacement is, is exactly what linear displacement was. If you remember, linear displacement is just the straight line distance from uh, beginning point to ending point. And that's exactly what angular motion is, except not the straight line part. Um, angular displacement is just the initial angle uh, subtracted from the final angle. It's just the change in the angle. So again, 
it's it's useful to begin to discuss things um, in terms of linear motion and then make the connection between linear motion and rotational motion. And one of the first big topics that we covered in class uh, in terms of linear motion was speed or velocity. Now, velocity in terms of linear motion was displacement divided by time. Uh, how much an object's displacement changed per unit time. Uh, to put it simply, it's distance divided by time, right? That's speed. Angular velocity is how fast an object is rotating about an axis. So in order to find angular velocity, instead of doing change in displacement, what we do is change in angular position, a change in the angle, divided by time. So again, uh, linear velocity is change in displacement over change in time. Angular velocity is change in the angle, change in the angular position over change in time. Now, instead of using V for velocity, we use the Greek letter omega for the angular velocity. So omega is equal to change in theta over change in time. Now, those of you familiar with a little bit of calculus realize that uh, any curve, anytime we're, we're rotating, uh, whether it's a, a curve on a graph or we're watching an object rotate, that rotational motion is really just the sum of an infinite number of changes in linear motion. Uh, that's how we get the derivative in calculus. So uh, what we talk about there is uh, tangential motion. Uh, a line tangent to a curve is how you get the derivative in calculus. Uh, tangential speed is a thing in physics. So tangential speed is basically the instantaneous linear velocity of an object that's rotating about an, uh, uh, an axis. Picture um, a tin can being tied to a string and you're whirling that tin can above your head um, with you know you're taking the string you're whirling it around above your head and suddenly the string breaks where's the tin can going to fly is it going to continue to spin in a circle above your head well no of course not common sense tells us that it's going to fly off in a straight line at the moment that the string broke the path which that tin can will follow is related to its tangential velocity, all right, its tangential speed. It's going to follow a line tangent to the circular path it was going in. So how do we calculate the speed at which an object moves tangentially to the curve? Well, luckily we have a nice little equation. Uh, tangential speed in physics is found by taking the radius of the circular motion and multiplying it by the angular speed. So once you have angular speed, which remember is change in theta over change in time, we can then multiply that by the radius of curvature and that gives us the tangential speed. Now this is a linear speed, this is velocity. So the linear velocity, sometimes it's called, uh, but here we call it tangential speed of an object is the radius of curvature multiplied by the angular speed. And just like with linear speed, we can take a change in linear speed and get linear acceleration. Here we can take a change in angular speed and angular velocity and get 
angular acceleration. So once again we have that omega, that angular velocity. We can take a difference between uh, angular velocities of a rotating object, divide it by time, and get what we call angular acceleration. Now, if you'll remember, the unit for angular or for linear acceleration was meters per second squared. For angular acceleration, however, we're taking angular velocity, uh, which is just radians per second. But remember, radians really isn't really a um, a unit. So technically, we're taking per seconds, dividing it by seconds, and we get a unit of inverse seconds squared. Um, this gets confusing with the units, and I understand that. Uh, just again, try to remember that those angles don't have, they, they have dimensionless units. Um, radians per second squared as a unit for average angular acceleration, to write that down, is that a sin? No, I, I really don't believe it is. Uh, that's my personal opinion. Uh, you may encounter a physics teacher or professor later on in your lives that uh, will feel that that is a cardinal sin, uh, but I do not. So uh, radians per second squared um, is fine by me as long as you understand that radian is a dimensionless unit, and technically it, it's not there. Now, just like with... Um, tangential velocity, we can also do tangential acceleration, and the equation is very similar. This time, tangential acceleration is equal to our angular acceleration, which we just found, and multiplying it by the radius. Now, if you'll remember back when we were talking about Newton's laws, Newton's first law said that every object has inertia, which means an object at rest tends to stay at rest, and an object in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted on by an outside force. So due to this inertia, an object at rest or moving in a straight line resists changes to that motion. A very similar thing happens to something that's uh, rotating that's moving in a circle. Each object that's rotating has what we call a moment of inertia. All right, This determines how easy or hard it is to change the rotation of that moving object. So an object with a large moment of inertia is difficult to start or stop rotating. For example, a merry-go-round has a very large moment of inertia. And it takes quite a bit of energy to get that going. A baseball, on the other hand, would have a very small moment of inertia. It doesn't take much to get that spinning. So, now we can experiment with moment of inertia in the lab. And we can find that an object's moment of inertia uh, has a linear relationship to the mass of the object and the square of the distance the object is from the axis of rotation. In other words, the moment of inertia of an object in general is mass times radius squared. And we use a capital I to denote moment of inertia. So I equals mR squared for moment of inertia. Now, if we look at a system with multiple spinning uh, particles, uh, multiple spinning masses, and we want to look at the moment of inertia for the entire system, we simply just add up each individual moment of inertia with, from each individual particle. Now, 
here's the deal with moment of inertia. Um, the moment of inertia of different objects can differ depending on the shape. And different uniform rigid objects of different shapes have slightly different moments of inertia. Now, the I equals mr squared uh, equation that I just gave you is a general form that's generally true with a hoop or a cylindrical shell. Okay, uh, If we had a solid sphere, say, such as a bowling ball, and we wanted to look at its moment of inertia, uh, a bowling ball's moment of inertia, as it rotates about its center axis, would be two-fifths the mass times radius squared. Uh, let's say we had a hollow sphere, like a basketball, that's rotating about its axis. Uh, that that uh, would be two-thirds times the mass radius squared. There's a whole list of these moments of inertia that can be found in your textbook. Uh, I'm certainly not going to make you memorize all of them. Just be aware that um, the general form of moment of inertia is I equals mR squared, and that differs depending on the axis of rotation and the object that we're talking about. And again, those equations can be easily found in any physics text. Now, another piece of linear motion that we've discussed previously in class that can be applied to rotational motion is that of kinetic energy. Uh, we can look at something called rotational kinetic energy. Now, if you remember linear kinetic energy, the kinetic energy of an object that's moving um, was found by taking one-half the mass times velocity squared. Well, in much the same way, we can look at the rotational kinetic energy of an object. And the rotational kinetic energy of the object um, is one-half of the product of the moment of inertia times the square of the annu uh, angular speed. So instead of one-half mv squared, here we have one-half i times omega squared. So one-half times the moment of inertia times the square of the angular speed. That gives us the rotational kinetic energy of an object. Now, the next thing that we're going to discuss here is something called torque. Okay. Now, the effectiveness of a force that causes a rotation depends both on the magnitude of the force, how much force you apply, and the distance from the axis of rotation. Um, a classic example is using a wrench to loosen a bolt. In this case, the farther your hand is away from the bolt, the farther out on the wrench it is, the more force that you can apply to that bolt. This concept is known as torque. Torque is the product of force and distance in terms of a rotating object. We use torque, uh, we find torque, rather, by taking the radius, multiplying it by the force. So either a larger radius or a larger force will provide you with more torque on an object. Now, sometimes torque can be done, or can be applied, rather, at an angle. In this case, we take the radius, multiply it by the force, and then multiply it by the sine of the angle. So radius times force times the sine of theta gives us torque at an angle. Now, previously we discussed how Newton's first law, inertia, 
uh, applied to rotational motion. We also can take a look at Newton's second law, and this is called Newton's second law for rotational motion. Basically what it says is the sum of all the torques is equal to the moment of inertia multiplied by the angular acceleration. If you remember, in Newton's second law of motion, when we're talking about linear motion, it was net force, the sum of all the forces, was equal to mass times acceleration. Here, in rotational motion, we're talking about the sum of all the torques instead of the sum of all the forces, the sum of all the torques, equaling the moment of inertia instead of mass multiplied by the angular acceleration instead of being multiplied by the linear acceleration. So the sum of all the torques is equal to I times alpha, or the moment of inertia times angular acceleration. And that pretty well does it for our discussion of rotational motion. I, again, I think that the key part in all this is to try to make the connection between what you've previously learned about linear motion, whether it's, it's linear velocity, linear acceleration, momentum, kinetic energy. Make the connection between those quantities that you already know and understand very well with what's happening in rotational motion. It's the same concepts, except this time we're traveling in a circle instead of going in a straight line. So try to make those connections between the equations. It'll make life a lot easier.